0: Get on Team Shaq with WinBet. We're playing parlays, boosting odds, and laying the wildest prop bets. Don't miss another game. Download the WinBet sports betting app today.
1: Sign up today and win $200 in free bets when you place a $10
0: first-time wager on a straight bet or parlay. That's $200 that you can use for all the upcoming basketball action, including the men's basketball tournament. If you bet at least $500 during the first or second round of the tournament, you can get a trip to the five-star rated Win Las Vegas. Offer subject to change, terms, and conditions at winbet.com. Must be 21 or older and present in a state where playthrough through winbet is available. If you or someone you know has a
1: gambling problem, call 1-800-522-4700.
0: What's up, everyone? Welcome to episode number 23 of the That's So Mets podcast. I'm your host, Connor Rogers, joined as always by my co host, Joe DeMeo. I hope everyone had a great uh, couple weeks off there, or some time to break away during the holiday season. And now, hopefully, that means the MLB offseason we'll pick up here. So let's get right into it. The Mets have been pretty much connected to every free agent, as you would imagine, as soon as Steve Cohen's money came into the situation. So Joe and I today are going to go through some of the uh, mid-rotation pieces that are out on the market. Of course, the the top end of the relief market that the Mets are still connected to as well. I feel like there's going to be George Springer conversation somehow on this show, even though we didn't plan it. A couple trade ideas and a couple other things before we get to all of your questions. So we're pretty excited today. Joe, it, it feels like we have truly hit the first big lull of the MLB offseason where There's just been honestly nothing for what feels like a long time right now. How are you doing, number one? And two, does this surprise you? Because I know it's typically slow, and it was supposed to be a very different year because of the revenue loss due to the pandemic. But this right now, I mean, you sent me some numbers in a text message this week in terms of how much is spent already compared to how much was spent this time last year in free agency and it is startling
1: my friend it's it's actually crazy um i i have to imagine that we're kind of we're on the roller coaster and we're like getting to the top before the drop and you hear like the click 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 and then it stops because you know it's about to take that dive like we have to be getting to the point. We've here been sitting soon. up here a long time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, we've been sitting and waiting, but I think we're gonna move forward. You know, relatively soon. It, it has to. It certainly appears as if spring training, as of now, is being planned to go off on time. And if that's if that actually ends up transpiring, then you're looking at a month and a half to sign two hundred and something free agents that are out there across the game. So this ha- has to move at some point. But to to your point that you mentioned about those numbers, uh, just to throw it out here, it's it's from Jeff Passan at ESPN. So I didn't I didn't take the time. I wouldn't take the time to do this kind of research to be honest. But so far, there's been two hundred eight million dollars spent on free agents, and he did not include Gosman and Stroman who accepted the qualifying offer. So this is just free agent money. This time last year. There was one point nine five billion spent. So obviously a gargantuan difference and a funny one that he noted in it is that James McCann makes up twenty percent of the league spending on free agency so far this winter. James McCann just got a four-year, forty million dollar deal, which you know, some thought maybe a little high, but all in all, like a pretty run-of-the-mill contract. Ten million dollars a year isn't You know, outrageous in baseball nowadays. But for how this market's going, it's it's crazy, and I'm I I don't know where these guys are going to end up. Like I was having some conversations with people on Twitter today, you know, talking about can they pull off Springer, you know, Kluber, Brad Hand, and Odorizzi or something like that. It's just like on paper, no. Like if you look at like MLB trade rumors their estimates on what players are going to get contractually are usually pretty good. Like, maybe doesn't nail it, but usually close enough. So I use them as like a reference point, but I have no idea where the market's going to be for anybody. It's absolutely baffling, but I think there's just going to be a day when, you know, we hit that drop, it's just like, boom, stuff is just going to start flying off the wall. Someone has to just get the ball rolling.
0: Yeah, it's how it feels. It feels like that... You know, there will be a point where the patience stops, right? You said this early December that a lot of guys are told by their agents, you know, hey, enjoy the holidays, take it easy. We don't have the offer on the table we want right now, and, and there's no need for us to rush. I, I think a guy that ironically could have, you know, it could have been beneficial to him to rushing was Real Muto, and he was the one that had no interest in doing that, and, and now a big piece that affects his market in McCann is off the table, and you you really have heard nothing around Real Muto. You know, the, the, of course, you hear the nonsense. Oh, the Phillies want him back, but the Phillies might not have any money. And then you hear, you know, the Blue Jays are in on everyone, and maybe the Astros, but really nothing. So, and on the flip side, even guys that are stars, mega stars at the top of this market that are not Real Muto, like Springer you're just not hearing a lot of teams. You're hearing the Mets, and then, of course, the Mets fans were given a bit of a scare when you hear the report come out, and I believe it was from Jim Duquette, that the Blue Jays have made an offer to Springer. But then the follow-up to the report was, well, it's nowhere near $150 million. And it's like, well, if it's nowhere near $150 million, I mean, do we think George Springer is just taking this four-year, $100 million deal? No, and not right now. <laughs> I mean, things would have to go significantly wrong if that's the way way it goes. So you're sitting here looking at it and going, you know, the money's just not there for the stars where they feel like they should pounce on it. And, and that's why you look at a guy like Trevor May, who's not a star, but who's a very good middle tier reliever. And when you can get that, you know, almost $15 million total, he's like, all right, well, it's probably not going to get better than this. Let's just go and get our money now. It's just different at the top of this market. We've heard for a very long time how far apart LeMahieu Le and the Yankees have been so there's been really no movement there. And then obviously Bauer, we've heard crazy things, maybe $35 million per year over a five to six year deal. That annual average seems wrong. That term for a pitcher wouldn't really surprise anyone, but I don't know. That's a big investment. I mean, the investment in Garrett Cole last year made sense, but are you going to be giving an investment anywhere close like that to Trevor Bauer, nobody really thinks that's happening. So now you just have everyone sitting here and going, well, everyone's a little bit off, right? And I think for the people that are tweeting at Steve Cohen getting impatient, which is absurd, and he's he responded to a couple of them, this is a smart guy. This is a guy that the reason he owns the Mets is because he knows money. And he didn't come from money. He earned, He made all of his money by busting his ass. And and understanding money and, and, you know, a couple of things in between along the way. But the bottom line is the man knows money and he's not going to sit there and go, well, just offer George Springer $175 million right now. Let's get this done so everybody on Twitter can relax. That's not how this is going to go uh, unless Springer wants nothing to do with the Mets, which there's been no indications that that is the case. His agents, when they get a good offer from anyone else, are going to call the Mets and say, hey, can you do better than this? And the Mets are going to say, yes, we can. Here's what we got. And then they're going to go back to the other teams and say, hey, can you do better than this? And that's how it's going to go until everybody stops and goes, I can't match that. And somebody wins. And ultimately, this is just a gut feeling. I don't think the Mets are going to be outbid. So... Everyone needs to relax, and getting away from the top of this free agent market is something very interesting, and that is the pitching market that excludes Bauer, the middle-tier pitching market, where it's no secret the Mets need to make a move, and we've talked about it on the show a long time. You mentioned a guy like Oda Rizzi. We've talked about Tanaka before. You know, Sagano is an interesting one that it appears, it seems like the Mets are out, and it seems like most MLB teams are are kind of fading. He might actually go back to Japan, which is shocking. And we'll get into that in a bit. But the overall sense here is that we know the Mets need to add at least one starting arm. The market has not moved at all. No one is really signing from this market over the last month. And then you also have guys that the Mets are sending people to to go see them work out because they're coming off significant injury like a Paxton and like a Kluber that we just found out. So Joe, where do you think this market goes? What is, what is your take from the Sagano situation? Because I think it was a little surprising when we found out, you know, Hey, the Mets are out. They're not even one of the final two teams really in this. And we know this is a situation that they have to address. We just don't know who.
1: When I realized they were out on Sagano, I was kind of, I'm kind of a patient guy by nature. So, I was just like, well, oh well. I mean, I guess I understand they don't really have the scouting presence in Asia at, at this moment, but I know that Diamondbacks do have a better scouting presen- presence in Asia, so I had a thought that maybe Jared Porter had you know a very strong opinion about him, and certainly the Mets were linked to him, but it seems like they're out. It seems like other teams don't want to hit his price, and the Yomiri Giants back in Japan, the team he came from, offered him a four-year deal with an opt-out each year. So in theory, he could take this deal from Yomiri because if the money is not right to go ahead and move to America now, he'd be taking on some risk that something happens next year and maybe he isn't able to make, you know, real money in America next year. But, you know, maybe the COVID climate cleans up a bit and he's able to actually, you know, make more money in America next year. So it, it, it took a weird turn when... When he came to America, I was just like, you know, all right. Well, we're gonna find out who he's signing with because why is he flying here to not take a physical and or sign with a team? And Jeff Passan said in that same article where he talked about all the you know money spent that Sugano may be going back, and takes me by complete surprise. Takes a big mid rotation arm off the market and the Mets could survive without him like it would have been cool to have him I, like I think he would have fit exactly what the Mets need and also it'd be nice to you know stake claim that the Mets are going to be factors in Asia and you know other countries going forward but with him off the market I say all right well who's next on the list and now we're we got some other questions uh Andy Martino at, just reported that The Mets haven't really talked to Odorizzi in like a month. And Mark Feinstein says that the Red Sox are heavy on Odorizzi. So, all right, are the Mets not in on Odorizzi? Masahiro Tanaka, he's disputed this, but usually when there's smoke, there's fire. And there's a report that he was either going back to the Yankees or going back to Japan. He said that's not true, but it could be. So if they're out on both those guys... Where are they going to turn? So if Sugano goes back to Japan, Tanaka goes back to the Yankees, it seems unlikely, or but, or goes back to Japan too, and call Odorizzi goes to the Red Sox just because that's kind of the most recent buzz. What are the Mets going to do? They need a reliable mid-rotation starter. Corey Kluber sounds nice. James Paxton sounds nice. But to me, those are the guys you sign... If you're going two starters, and you go, all right, we got our call it mid rotation innings eater type. Now we can take a flyer that James Paxton's healthy, and if he's healthy, he's better than Steven Matz, obviously. And then you have a better rotation for a year, or a Corey Kluber kind of same scenario. So I'm not concerned yet, but you know, I'm I'm starting to feel like a little alarm that it's like all right, we we kind of, in a sense, banked on Odorizzi. Like, maybe that's not the best word to use. But it almost felt like, well, if they don't land this guy, they could just turn and grab Odorizzi. And maybe they still do, but it seems like there could potentially be momentum towards him in the Red Sox. And if that's the case, I'm not sure. I mean, can they pull off a Sonny Gray trade? Like, I, I mentioned that here as something I'm very, very much in favor of them doing. But... What's the cost of him in trade? Like, I know that the Reds want to shed money, but at two years 20 million, is Sonny Gray the guy that you trade for, you know, a Alexander Ramirez, just like, you know, a guy that was recently signed as an international free agent, which isn't, you know, much value in the trade market. I don't know. Like he might actually cost something. So the Mets are Mets, I I I'm gonna choose to believe that Sandy Alderson and Jared Porter are prepared and they have their plan in place, and we just don't know what it is, but I do a podcast. I got to know what the plan is. I have to talk about it. That's what we do. (laughs) That's right. (laughs) I mean, that's the thing here is that we know they need
0: a starting pitcher, and every Mets fan watched last year. The Mets did not have problems scoring runs, and the Mets did not lose players that were Driving in and scoring runs, it's it's that team is coming back. I mean, that's what you should be excited about, right? Like those guys, Michael Conforto, Dominic Smith, Jeff McNeil, Pete Alonzo, like th- they're all coming back. And the guy that was a disaster in the lineup, in Wilson Ramos, is gone, and we we think James McCann is going to be better. So. <laughs> You're sitting here and going, well, what we know what the problem is. Now, I'll say this, Joe, the, and I know you'll agree. The only thing that scares me, the only thing that scares me, and I'm not in panic mode yet. I think they're going to get a starter that's reliable. I think they're obviously – they're probably a little relieved once Stroman took the qualifying offer that they can focus their priorities and top of their attention other places and then come back to pitching, right? If you don't have Stroman back, you go, okay, well – we better act fast because we're in trouble right now. You get Stroman back, you go, okay, we know we need another one, but we're going to go after Springer and some other priorities like the bullpen and catcher right now. The only thing that scares me, Joe, because I don't know the answer, is that I hope they are not banking on Seth Lugo, the starter. That's the one thing that and this, this segues actually really well to something we want to talk about is the Mets are tied to every big reliever in this market. We don't think Liam Hendricks is one that'll happen, but now they're tied to Brad. They're being attached to Brad Hand. They're, you know, there's a connection there. After they already gave Trevor May a decent deal and Edwin Diaz was good last year and Seth Lugo's really, really good. So you would think that, hey, you know, with this bullpen it's not bad. It'd be a little, it's not great, but you don't always go out and buy a bullpen, but it's not bad where, oh, they're going to go, you know, are they going to go out and sign hand who they, Sandy Alderson said, Hey, different situation. We might've, we might've got him on waivers if, if we were around here for 10, one year, $10 million deal. So Joe, the only, th- I'll say it again. The only thing that I just don't want them to do is go, you know what? We, we feel like we added enough pieces in the bullpen. Or have enough pieces in the bullpen that we can keep Lugo in the rotation. Because one, I think he's just a way, way better reliever. And two, I, he hasn't really shown that he can handle the starting pitching role in terms of innings he gives you per game. And just quality. I'm not saying he's awful. But I don't think he's he's anything more than a fourth starter. While he's a, literally one of the best relievers in baseball at times. So... Am I wrong for having that concern?
1: I have the exact same concern. You know, this podcast has been on top of Seth Lugo, not a starter. And I, I respect his wishes. I understand that's what he would like to do. But I hate to be kind of rude, but that ain't my problem. Like, my problem is I need to win baseball games. And how does Seth Lugo best help the Mets win ball games? That's pitching out of the bullpen. And that's even if they sign Brad Hand. And, you know, the connection, like you said, it's there from day one, like very, very weird on like an introductory press conference for Cohen and Sandy Allerson to just drop the name of a random reliever. So it was kind of weird, but seems like there's been interest from day one. And if they were to land a Brad hand, I'm looking at as let's just build a quote unquote mega bullpen. And will it work? History suggests no, <laughs> um, So, but, you know, you hope you grab the right guys, and I'd say I have Diaz, I have Brad Hand, I have Seth Lugo, I have Trevor May, I'm ready to go at the, you know, and then guys like Familia and Batances are overpriced middle relievers, and, you know, that maybe they'll do a little better with less pressure, it's possible, but I am vehemently against Lugo in the rotation I would find I would find almost any way to just not do it um I would sign two back end starters as the starting pitching additions before I went Lugo in the rotation I think he needs to be in the bullpen that's where he's best that's where he will help the Mets more and I know he has trouble going back-to-back days and you know that's certainly something that you have to be you know somewhat worried about but if you built up this pen with all this depth where a guy like Miguel Castro is like one of the lowest guys on the totem pole in your bullpen you have the ability to give Lugo the, those days off so if he goes and throws three innings you say all right you get the next couple of days off we have plenty of arms to not have to you know we won't have to go to you for a couple of days that's okay and I'm okay with that I, I just I agree he's not he's not a good starter maybe a number four he's probably more of like a upper end number five if we're being totally honest and I don't think you can rely on for innings like you said or really high pitch counts so to me that that's the best use of him but I I don't know where the Mets are going to go starting pitching wise and I hope they do Uh, I'm a little scared just like you said because I don't know and usually we have a grasp on these things but we have a new ownership we have a new front office in place and you know it's small. Leaks aren't really coming out, so we don't know exactly what they're thinking. But I'm very interested to find out. Without a doubt, I think when you
0: look at it, I think it's going to surprise us. Is what at this point because all the options you and I have discussed for months right now just don't have any traction. There's no movement, right? I mean, we we were kind of on top of. Hey, we think they might get Sigano. Uh, or, you know, even when there was a lot of interest, as Andy said a while ago, hey, Odorizzi makes a lot of sense with the Hefner connection or, you know, Tanaka, if he wants to stay in New York, it makes a lot of sense. And, you know, we've gone through plenty of names like that. And and now it kind of seems like and while <laughs> ironically, none of those three are <laughs> signed and anything could happen at any moment, uh, I just it's starting to feel like they have other plans where one of those plans could be they just wait out the entire market and try to get a ridiculous steal at some point. Or two, they've outlined a few trading options that they feel confident in. And we're going to see, especially in a market that teams are trying to dump money, they have a unique advantage, and they've been open about this. They have a unique advantage uh, with the ability to take on that salary, similar to how the Padres did that with the U Darvish acquisition. I mean, that trade was a laugher an absolute laugher. It was all about the money. So we're going to get to your guys questions early today because we actually have some lengthy ones that are going to take some time to discuss and we really appreciate how much uh you know you guys have been sending in. They've been awesome. And I think it's only going to get better as as there is more action in the MLB offseason, which is just laughably slow right now. So the first one uh from my fellow great dane, Matt Campion. Are he's got a three-parter here and and they're all they're all bangers. First one, are the Mets, slash why aren't the Mets, interested in giving Kluber a flyer?
1: So the Mets are actually sending a scout to Corey Kluber's workout next week. So there's some level of interest there. He scares me. I mean, he basically hasn't pitched in two years. And yes, when he did, he was a Cy Young caliber pitcher. But he's the kind of guy that even if he bounces back healthy... He hasn't pitched in two years. How many innings can you count on Corey Kluber for? And that's one of the reasons why I look at him as kind of like a secondary starting pitching addition and anything he gives you is kind of gravy in a sense. Um, so I think there's some level of interest just like there, you know, is in James Paxton where the Mets sent the scout to his workout. I think they're monitoring that kind of upside, high upside, low floor market a bit too on the on the starting pitching side. So I think Kluber can be in play. Uh, I know he's been linked to the Red Sox. He's from Massachusetts. So there's some connection there and they certainly need starting pitching. So I think it's possible, but we, we don't know their level of interest. We just know that they're sending a scout to see him.
0: Yeah. I think when you look at him, I'm intrigued by Paxton, honestly. Now, We've talked about him in length on the show, the velocity issues and and wanting to see that. And there's been reports that at his workout, the velocity has been up. You know, Kluber, I think, while was a more dominant pitcher than Paxton at times, it seems like a bigger hill to climb for him to be back in terms of what he can give you this year. Now, who knows? Guy could be the comeback player of the year. I mean, we know he's that talented and he's not ancient. It's just a matter of, like Joe said this is gonna be his hey i'm trying to really show i still got it as a starter in this league in terms of health we don't we know the stuff is fine so i think with the Mets when you're looking at the rotation you really need to pick your spots with how many question marks you want to have in a league where question marks just uh they come in a, an abundance quite quickly and we know as Mets fans what that means i'm talking about injuries. So you don't want to go into the year with guys that you already have circled with that question, right? Like, we know with the Mets, you know, I don't even want to talk about it because it feels like a jinx, but the Mets are going to say, hey, you know, we're excited about DeGrom, Stroman, Peterson, and, you know, that's what we feel good about. Now, we're hoping is is ready for June, and we hope... You know, he can he can give us enough innings that he makes a significant impact on our team from some point of the summer through the end of the season. And then you look at it and you you go, OK, that's a that's a question mark alone because he's returning from injury. We haven't seen Noah Syndergaard in a while and we don't know how much he'll be able to give or how he'll look or how long it'll take to get his feet under him. Steven Matz, he's barely a question mark. He's he was that bad. But he still goes into the, they're paying him enough money where you're sitting there going, okay, we don't really know what we're going to get from Steven Matz this year, but we hope he can be, get back to form and at least be a fifth starter for us on his, on his best days. Do you really want to just add Kluber into the, I don't know. Like it's, you add Kluber into the mix and you're going, all right, well, we don't know what we're going to get from Koi Kluber this year. So then you got three guys in the rotation and I'm not saying they're written in ink in the rotation, but you need, you need production from at least one of the three. That's scary, and I think the Mets are thinking the same thing. Now, they haven't been active enough to go get a sure thing. So on the flip side, you can counter-argue with that. So the second part of this question, which uh, the answer could actually uh, tie into the pitching and getting a sure thing, Matt says, what the hell is plan B if we don't get Springer?
1: So that's the thing that we don't really discuss, right? It's not Bauer
0: for me. I'll say that right now.
1: I 100% agree. To me, I wouldn't pivot to Bauer even if we lost out on Springer. But it, like I said, it's something that we don't, we don't talk about. We kind of just assume that Springer is going to be a Met in a sense. Like we understand and, and we we d- definitely point out that Toronto is a legitimate competitor in this, but we we both believe that George Springer will end up with the Mets. And I, I certainly still believe that. But with that said, there's a chance that Toronto is more aggressive than the Mets are. Even though Steve Cohen has $14 billion, the guy that he hired to run baseball is a very measured person in Sandy Alderson. I picture Sandy Alderson setting a price as to what he'll pay for George Springer, and if it exceeds that, he will pivot on to something else. What is that something else, obviously, is the question here. Is it a turn towards a trade for Francisco Lindor? Is it turning towards you know, taking a salary dump on Nolan Arenado. Uh, To me, this Mets offseason, I will not accept an offseason. I mean, not that I have a choice, but like as a fan, like I won't feel good about an offseason if they don't land a star slash impact player. And I'm not usually that way where like stars mean that much to me. But like if they're just going to do like, let's call it a juiced up Wilpon offseason where it's just like a bunch of, you know, a few guys at seven to $10 million a year instead of like a big fish. Like, I think that's just not much different. And I'm looking for them to make a statement. And I, and I, I do think it will be Springer. But if it's not, for me, it's turning to the trade market and finding a Lindor or Arenado deal that makes sense. And in center field, sign Jackie Bradley Jr. and go defense. Or maybe there's a real buy low on a Kevin Kiermeyer if you really want to punt offense and get elite elite defense Kevin Kiermeyer could be your guy uh, they need to do something in center you can't have Brandon Nemo as your center fielder going into the season so if it's not Springer then a Jackie Bradley or Kevin Kiermeyer type guy would probably be near the top of my list for center at least
0: yeah I'm with you there I think you look at it I, I would go pretty hard after Jackie Bradley because he feels so good about his speed and defense and center and then you you're kind of doing now the DH thing I cannot believe this is still going on that you teams don't know I mean this is ridiculous I mean what are they doing why can't baseball ever just function like other leagues and how are you operating in this deep into an offseason and And you imagine, like, legitimately, imagine football and it's like, yeah, we don't know, um, you know, if we're going to use running backs, if we're going to allow people to carry the ball this year. I'm not saying it's on that level. I'm just saying that it's like you're literally talking about a position, a roster space in baseball that nobody knows. And a lot of people are assuming it's going to get done. But I think when you look at it, let's assume it does get done. Yeah, you you'd pivot to Jackie Bradley, and then you put Nimmo to left, and you're you're DHing, you know Dom and Pete, and I I think Joe that you really do. That's a lot of money we're talking about because we're assuming Springer is going to count for about twenty seven million dollars a year. I I think you start to explore those two monster trades, whether it's Arenado or whether it's Lindor. And something we're going to talk about later, I don't want to give it away, but the Lindor trade can have a bigger effect with a certain package, and we're going to talk about that with a question. But it's kind of been a quietly, you know, an under-the-radar thing. What I just don't understand how they, they are operating like this, and they just haven't decided if there's a DH this year.
1: The problem with MLB and MLBPA, in my personal opinion, is they use rules of the game, as chess pieces in negotiating collective bargaining type of things like we're kind of in the the cba expires after the year so that's going to be a next offseason is going to be a total disaster let's just you know you're going to hear the word strike next off season, 100 percent. with the way things are going you're going to hear that word i hope it doesn't happen but you're going to hear it for sure uh, but you know they're negotiating for this like last year and oh mlb might want less games again might want you know later spring training and they want all the players to be vaccinated before they do anything and that might not be available until april and at that point you're not starting until maybe almost memorial day because then you have to have a spring training and the players are saying we did that last year we're not doing that this year we're planning on reporting on time and the the union and the league are just not on the same wavelength on anything and they're kind of both children that are like, well, if you don't do what we want, you can't have the DH, or <laughs> if you don't, if you don't do, if you don't do what we want, uh, you're gonna have a runner on second in the tenth inning. Like they're using these things as like chess pieces, and it's honestly just straight up pathetic, and it's an embarrassment to Major League Baseball, it's an embarrassment to the Players Association, and it's an embarrassment to the fans of the game that you know this is America's pastime and. It's just seemingly getting worse and worse and football is past it. Let's be totally transparent. Like you could still call baseball America's pastime because I guess technically it is. It's like calling the Cowboys America's team. They'll always be America's team, but they're not the best team anymore. So like it, it doesn't like totally correlate. Yeah, it's just an embarrassment. And, you know, you have to imagine by time around spring training, they'll have a decision. But who the hell knows what they're doing at this point?
0: It really is strange just to hear nothing of it. I know when guys like Passan, you know, get asked about it, they feel optimistic it'll get done, but man, it's just, it's really tough. It re- And especially I talk about it from a Mets lens, you know, and I, you know, it might be hyperbole the way I talk about it, but if you're a guy like Ozuna or Nelson Cruz out there, you're like, man, this, this is a big deal. For, for my livelihood, for my ability to go out and get paid what I what I think I can get paid if, if that job market doesn't exist in the National League. So it's, I don't know, like you said, it is an embarrassment. And it's very, it's something to keep an eye on, not because of now, but because of next offseason. And the last part of Matt's question, is it slightly concerning how much Uncle Stevie is online? Could this be a problem in the future? Uh, I'm not really that bothered by him because I think he's such a smart guy that his responses are always on point. Now, what I'll say is, man, every team goes through losing streaks or times where everything is just not going your way. And it's it's tough out there. And I don't know how much you want to be on Twitter during those times. I don't care what he does, right? Like, I think he's been transparent with it. He's been everything that the Wilpons weren't. And right now it's not a worry for me. I mean, the man is, is a reason why all of us Mets fans are so excited that if he wants to go on Twitter and have some fun or answer people that are just being complete
1: idiots, it really is just no big deal to me at all. All I say is just be careful with the likes. He's an older guy. Just, just be careful with the likes, but like, give me a break people. Like, We started this podcast and I didn't know a single person in the world that wasn't begging for Steve Cohen to own this team. I don't know a single fan that wasn't outraged that the deal didn't work out the first time and then outraged at every pro A-Rod and J-Lo story that came out or any anti-Steve Cohen story. Like, they had this guy's back to and through and he's owned the team for two months and it seems like a bunch of the fan base has already turned on him and it's ridiculous. Like, I, I appreciate that he has thick skin. Like that's, what's good about him is he's been through, he's been through the rigor a bit in his career. So like guys busting his chops about signing free agents and stuff like that is probably like getting poked by a pin, like means nothing to him. So I think he has thick skin and can handle it, but we have to be better as fans. Like, He's online, yes. He's on Twitter. He's having fun. He's being transparent, like you said, which is all you can ask for. But do do we need to kill the guy about everything? Like, I understand what you want. You want players. He wants players, too. He even said it. He's like, someone will take our money. At some point, it's going to happen. It's just you have to find a deal that works. And, yeah, I don't, I don't envision it being a problem uh, unless he has some unfortunate likes, I think, he'll be fine. Otherwise I think he'll be able to handle himself with all the trolls and all that stuff.
0: All right. The next one from Rambo, how does the NL East currently rank? He says, no one really scares me besides Atlanta. And he ranked it Atlanta, the Mets, the nationals, the Phillies, and the Marlins. Now, you know, for those that listen to my jet stuff or any football stuff, I am very pessimistic overall, or maybe just realistic when it comes to the jets and the NFL. With baseball, I definitely have a little bit of a bias, or maybe just I'm optimistic about it. I agree. I think the Mets are the second best team, or will be. Maybe that's what I should clarify. They will be, because I do think they're going to sign Springer, and I do think they're going to add a starting pitcher, and I think that's pretty exciting overall, and maybe they get another reliever as well. You know, when you look at the Phillies, a lot has gone wrong there, as much as they have really gone all out to win. The Nationals, I mean, you won a World Series. It's always going to be tough to, you know, not have your losses after that, whether it was Rendon and a lot of other things. Although Soto is one of the best young players in the game. But, you you know, you're going to get a little older at starting pitching. It's close, in my opinion, with the Mets and the Nats. The Marlins, you know, they were they had a spark last year, and they have young talent. But with the Mar- I just will never buy into a Marlins team. And it's not the player's fault. It's just that team is always run to an extent where they don't invest. And when they have young talent, they really move them earlier. Even not when it's time to pay them. They move them before that. So going into this year, I, I, there's no reason why the Mets shouldn't be the second best team. I think the Braves, though, look like a powerhouse right now.
1: Oh, the, the Braves are the clear-cut number one. There's no question about that. I think Miami, like you said, like I'd probably put them in the basement if you told me I had to pick two. But with all the young talent they have, they could finish as high as second. Like, it wouldn't blow my mind. They have enough talent where they could do that. And it's just, you know, it's a matter of, are we talking right this very second? Because <laughs> right this very second, the Mets are not better than the Nationals. I agree. I, mean, they have, I think they, they will be, roti- though, th- in the end. I think I think if if they make the moves that I have some hopes that they will, then I would put the Mets as the second best team in the division. But even if the Mets make the moves that they do, I still think Washington's going to be neck and neck with the Mets. I mean, as long as Scherzer, Strasburg, and Corbin are healthy, that's that's a even if it's you know one year older, that's a heck of a one two three punch. And the Mets have a one maybe two punch, so. Washington's going to be right there too, but there's no reason why the Mets can't be the second best team in this division. They just have to, you know, pull in the right guys. They need to grab a George Springer, a Nolan Arenado. They need to make sure they not only sign a reliable starting pitcher, but that they have sufficient starting pitching depth because there's going to be injuries. There's going to be things that come up where you need multiple starters. And, you know, based off the 60 game season, a thing that we don't really talk about is. Is everyone just going to be full bore in 2021? Like, are you just pushing every starter to 200 innings that used to, where they had essentially most of a year off? I'm sure in some cases, yes. In some cases, maybe no. So there might be some innings restrictions on some people, just like Marcus Stroman, for instance. He's on a one-year deal, so the Mets might not care and might just push him as, as hard as they could. But like, when it comes to like taking care of the player, Marcus Stroman you might as well have pretended he had Tommy John surgery because he didn't pitch all year. And that's a factor. You have to have bodies that are ready to take starts and bodies that have a chance to give you quality starts. So adding a lot of depth will be important. And yeah, but the Mets have a chance to be second. And we haven't really talked about the other teams. Uh, Philly, their bullpen's a disaster. Uh, They have a couple good starters. If they bring back JT Realmuto, that'll be a, a pretty big play for them. If they're unable to bring Real Muto back, they're going to take a big dive down. So Philly, I don't feel good about. I feel good about the top three being some combination of Atlanta, Mets, and Washington.
0: Yeah, that's that adds up. And like you said, Miami could always surprise you, but it's it really is going to depend on the rest of the moves that we see, and it's going to be really interesting. So the final question for today's episode uh, from New York Dogs what kind of package could the Mets offer for Carrasco plus Lindor from Cleveland? Do the Mets even have the prospects to pull that off?
1: Well, it depends how desperate they are to move the money and and really how many teams are actually in on this. Because that's a factor, too. I mean, if if there's a, a four- or five-team market for this, then they have some negotiating power. But like, I feel like what you, Darvish— within the Cubs trade I think the Padres were just the only team willing to do it. So they just had to take what the Padres were willing to give. But I'm going to pretend that one year, $20 million of Lindor and Carlos Carrasco's on a reasonable deal. I don't have it up. I think it's like $12 million a year for two or three years, something like that. So like super reasonable starting pitching, buddy. Maybe you could grab that really quick and then uh, let me know if I'm wrong. I'm but all I'm over it. Pretty sure, I'm pretty sure it's that range. If that's the case... That's a good value for a starting pitcher. But you're taking 30 something million dollars a year off their hands. You know that that could impact the return, but one would imagine you'd have to head the deal with someone like a Brandon Nimmo who we've discussed. Uh, the Indians would like some corner outfield help, and they're certainly going to want somebody that is big league ready. So I think a Nimmo could intrigue them in this deal. And then you turn to your prospect base, and I maybe I'll be proven wrong, but I don't think Francisco Lindor, even in this financial climate, is getting dealt away without some kind of quality prospect going back. The Mets don't really have a premium prospect, and it hurts to say, but at this point they don't. They have guys that could be in a year or two, but you know maybe a guy like a Ronnie Mauricio, like you're gonna have to give a top 100 type prospect and. You know, Mauricio is arguably the top guy in the system. I personally have him third, but he's ranked inside the top 100 anywhere you look. So I think someone like him, and then, you know, maybe a couple lower level prospects after that. So I think they could pull it off if they really want to, but that market is just, I I have no idea what that market looks like right now. Uh, It seems like Toronto's in on that package potentially, but Toronto's just like the Mets, like You're in on everything, sure. But at some point in time, you have to turn being in on everything to actually accomplishing things. And the Mets have accomplished some things. Like, we can't take away that, you know, you could take for granted what James McCann and Trevor May are, but it's two of the biggest contracts that were issued this offseason already. So the Mets are playing. Toronto really hasn't. They haven't really done much. They're, as of now, like you know, more bark than bite, but they're lingering and they have money and they're ready to do something. And there's a connection with Lindor and the leadership in Toronto with Mark Shapiro and Ross Atkins. But yeah, I I, th- I think it's feasible they could pull it off. I still think they're preferring George Springer, the Mets, that is. I still think they're preferring George Springer. But if you whiff on Springer, like if that... Like that deal that Toronto supposedly has offered him, it says it's aggressive, but not near 150 million. If it's five years, 135 million, that's not really near 150, but that's still a super aggressive deal. And do the Mets want to go to five years, 140, 145 million? Maybe, but maybe not. You know, I think Sand, I truly think Sandy has a price where he'll walk away on anybody. Good, you know, top of the market, upper tier of the market, middle of the market, lower lower end of the market. He I I think he's the kind of guy that's so calculated that he'll put a number on it and he won't exceed it. And I still think they'll end up with Springer, but if not, a package like this, if you could pull it off, is obviously super exciting.
0: So Carrasco's deal, which is obviously very favorable, he is owed twelve million this year, twelve million in two thousand twenty two. And then in 2023, there's a team option, uh, for 14 million, and you could buy him out for three million. So, when you look at it, he's 33. Uh, he's obviously a great player. I think that's the kind of pitcher contract you're looking to take on, in this scenario. But because that's a good contract, and because the kind of piece Lindor is, that package would be big time. Like Joe said, you're looking at. You know, you got to give him back a top prospect. You got to give him back some pro-ready players. You know, it's it's a big time one and I I'm all for it. I would have no problem with that. But it's, you know, it's one of those it's a big deal. And we've talked about how we're not really looking to trade away Matt Allen because this farm just doesn't have any kind of pitching talent after him that we feel that confident in at the moment. So, you're going to have to explore your options, right? I, my thing is when I look at that, I'd love Lindor and we've made that claim. We call this the Francisco Lindor podcast most of the time. But when you look at it, you know, I think you can get Sonny Gray pretty cheap. For the, I, That's what I personally believe where I would go, oh, go get Sonny Gray instead of Carrasco in that situation. If you didn't want to have to give up some crazy trade package for both of them, you, you just want to get someone on the cheap. So there's a lot of the, a lot of options available. Like Joe said, it's, you know, Sandy is a guy that does have a limit. Sandy's a guy that, you know, it he's talked about it before. He didn't really want to give up Michael Fulmer for Cespedes. And he knew they had to make a move and eventually did, and that was the right move at the time. But he's someone that, you know, he will protect the farm system. He will be very, you know, careful with the money, because everything is big picture with Sandy. He's not thinking, oh, okay, well, we got George Springer here for the next two years. He's thinking, okay, well what what's it gonna look like when George Springer's thirty six? You know, how many contracts like that can you have on the roster is something he's looking at. And that's something a lot of people are probably thinking with Arenado at some point. You know, he's a great player. It's you know, it's a big time contract. It it really is. So all right, I've rambled enough I hope that things finally get going soon because my goodness, man, come on, baseball. You're ba- And it's not the Mets' fault. It's really not. It's the problem is, and it's not the Blue Jays' fault either. The problem is nobody else is very active where everything is so slow because everyone's sitting there waiting for someone else to make a move. You're a free agent. You don't want to just take the one offer you've had put on your desk. So the Mets are going to need some help from some other people for this thing to get going at any kind of pace. Joe, closing thoughts for episode 23. The Jordan episode of the That's So Mets pod.
1: Uh, The LeBron episode.
0: Woo. Oh.
1: (laughs) But no, really. um, I'm just, I'm ready for it to get going. Uh, I see all of your frustration. I understand. Um, I'm more patient, I guess, than some people. But I'm just, I'm getting a little bored. And you know, that's that's not fun to be bored. So I'd like to see baseball move because, like, I'm all about the hot stove season. Like, I want to see what the Mets do, of course, but I care about where all these guys go. I like to, uh, you know, analyze contracts. You know, who got who got what right, who got what wrong. Like, that's the kind of stuff, like, I live for. So, like, I want to get going here. I'm, I'm just getting a little bored from that end, but I, I guess we're going to say every week, like, maybe next episode we have something to talk about. And, like, we have to get there soon. There's only so much time left. So hopefully next episode, we have some stuff to talk about.
0: Yeah, I hope so, too. I, honestly, I I think it's all going to come in some giant burst where we're going to be like, oh, goodness, Scott, now we got like a two-hour show instead of our typical hour show. But keep sending in those questions. You guys make it fun. That's what really matters here. It keeps the show going. And, and when we don't have a ton of news, we'll answer more questions. So if your question didn't get answered this week, send it in again next week. We're sending a couple, and and we'll definitely get around to getting to those, and, and we're looking forward to things picking up. All right, guys. Thanks so much for tuning in for Episode 23. We'll catch you next week.
1: Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.